Welcome to today's episode of the PQI podcast. Today I talk with Caitlin Ash and Lauren Stafford from Live for Today Foundation. Caitlin and Lauren are both cancer survivors and board members of Live for Today. Live for Today Foundation is a nonprofit organization based in Jacksonville, Florida that helps young adults with cancer. Their purpose is to inspire young adults with cancer by focusing on living, not cancer. Today we discuss Caitlin and Lauren's personal stories and the mission and purpose of Live for Today and issues that are unique to young adults with cancer. So thank you ladies. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. And to start, will you please introduce yourselves and then give me a little background on your organization Live for Today? Thank you so much for having us today, Ginger. My name is Caitlin Ash and I'm the president and one of the three co-founders of the Live for Today Foundation which is uh, helps inspire and support young adults with cancer in the Northeast Florida area. Thank you. Hi, and I am Lauren Stafford. I am currently the vice president of Live for Today. Um, and I've been with the organization about four or five years. And I'm also like Caitlin, uh, a cancer survivor. And my background is in pharmacy. I was the clinical manager of the pharmacy department for St. Vincent's Healthcare before I started doing this. All right. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. It's great to have you both and to have a fellow pharmacist too um, on the line. And then Caitlin, I have to give a shout out. So this is a national podcast, but Caitlin is a manager at the best restaurant in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. If you want tacos, go to Taco Lou. It's amazing. Anyone on vacation, you need to try it. So there's your, there's your shout out. Um, but you're both cancer survivors. Um, so can you share each of you, your personal story and experience with our listeners? Absolutely. Um, so I'm actually a childhood cancer survivor. I was diagnosed, um, when I was 12 years old with Ewing sarcoma, which is a rare bone cancer, um, that Lauren and I both had the same cancer. And, um, but I went through a year of chemotherapy, Um, I was very lucky that I didn't have to do any radiation. They caught my cancer in stage one. So it was isolated in my pushing into my lungs and into my rib, one of my ribs in my back. Um, So we did a little bit of chemo. Then I did, um, we did the resection of the tumor along with my 11th rib Um, and we got clean margins. And then I just did my insurance chemo for an additional nine months or however long it was. Um, And I've been in remission since June 2nd of 2001. So coming up here next week, I'm going to be celebrating 20 years um, being cancer-free and in remission, which it seems so crazy, makes me feel a little bit old too. But um, (laughs) but yeah, it was definitely, obviously as a child, you know, we thought I had pneumonia and then it turns into, I'm in the ICU in the hospital and it's cancer. And before I'm released, they're telling me that they're going to be pumping five different toxic drugs into my body and, you know, how to port, um, port a catheter put in right away. Never even left the hospital before I started chemo. So it's a very, you know, wild, crazy transition for the whole family. My mom and dad, luckily I had really great supportive parents. So, um, they were there for me through the whole thing. I never spent a night alone in the hospital or anything like that, but, um, 
definitely a challenging time, but uh, I was lucky enough being a childhood cancer patient and survivor. There were so many resources for children with cancer. Um, you know, I was able to do things with Nemours and the J Fund and Wolfson's and Dreams Come True and Camp Boggy Creek. There was just tons and tons of resources for me as a child going through cancer to be connected with other children going through cancer um, and a lot of great fun opportunities to kind of get your mind off the fact that you are dealing with this critical illness. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about my cancer journey. I've been pretty healthy ever since, luckily, and um, just been kind of involved in giving back ever since. Thank you. And that's an awesome story. And happy anniversary. Congratulations. 20 years is amazing. That's that's crazy to celebrate for sure. Absolutely. Yes. And Lauren, how about you? So yeah, my story, again, it's, it's a very weird coincidence that we had the same type of cancer because as Caitlin mentioned, it's incredibly rare and it usually shows up in adolescents like her. So my case was really strange and different. So as I mentioned, um, I was working as a pharmacist and I had a two-year-old daughter and a, uh, a newborn son um, at the time and was, um, you know, just experiencing a lot of pain in my back during the pregnancy, just very severe, very severe pain, which didn't get better after he was born. And eventually I was able to go in and see a friend of mine who was a pain doctor who worked uh, near the hospital and they did an x-ray and it was just obvious that there was something massive in my chest area that had eaten away at part of my rib in my back, just like Caitlin mentioned, same exact location. Um, but it was a very huge tumor. It was 24 centimeters by 16 centimeters and was inoperable at this point. It, you know, extended into my uh, dura of my spine and was pushing on my, you know, collapsed my entire right lung and my esophagus and a lot of other areas. So it was pretty extreme by the time they found it. So um, we let it get a little too far, but, um, but I did proceed then, um, had to stop working at the hospital, but did work from my hospital bed every other week remotely um, during my entire almost year of chemotherapy, you know, alternating inpatient for one week with five straight days of outpatient all day chemo um, every other week. And then um, I also did six weeks of proton radiation during that time. And eventually, you know, things started looking like they were better and worse. You know, it's such a roller coaster ride going through cancer. So, um, but I developed a really severe infection in the tumor um, and in my lungs with a fistula and um, pneumonia and other things after treatment. So it turned out what we thought was the tumor was growing was actually um, really bad infection inside the tumor in my chest. So ended up having to have um, surgery. So a thoracotomy to you know, remove part of, uh, remove the tumor, remove. Um, so I had five thoracotomies over 12 oh days gosh. in the hospital. So they just kind of left my chest cracked open and just kept going in to do spinal surgery and um, general surgery and doing, you know, removing part of my lung and correcting the fistula and taking out muscles to help, you know, for muscle flaps. So it was a, quite a long recovery. So about six months of recovery from those surgeries. Um, 
you know, a lot of issues chronically just from all of the treatment and whatnot, because the, the infection was kind of related to, uh, with the proton radiation, I developed um, really bad fibrotic lungs on, on that side. So I lost pretty much my whole right lung to that um, afterwards. So that's what happens when you don't get diagnosed early. Definitely, um, I, de you know, want um, fellow people out there who are having symptoms that they aren't sure about to get it checked out because um, definitely you see the picture between the two of us of someone who was diagnosed early and someone who wasn't. Um, so, and, and I did, um, I was cancer free after that for um, about six years and, but I did experience a recurrence in 2019 um, in my spine, a very small area. Again, we were scanning me all the time, like every three months. So we did catch that really early and, and we treated that with proton radiation. And so we're just watching and, uh, and hoping we can make sure that it doesn't come back. So that's our situation. But Live For Today was great for me during that time. They provided so much support when I found them, which was after my treatment, um, but just the comfort in meeting someone else who had Ewing's, which there was nobody around in the community. I was being treated with 70, 80 year old patients. There was nobody, you know, my age and especially nobody that had kids that could guide me through going through cancer with children, what that was like. And so Live For Today was amazing uh, to meet those people and have those resources. That is fantastic. And that that's an amazing story as well. What what a huge thing that you've been through. Um, and what was it like to have, I mean, to have kids and to, to keep working from the hospital bed and, and have to continue on as a mom? Yeah, so it was so hard. I mean, that was definitely the hardest part of it for me. Um, having, you know, at this point when I started a four month old and a two year old, I mean, we didn't know if I was going to live and it was just like really overwhelming to try to figure out, you know, just how to take care of my kids, how to be close to them. But at the same time, I almost feel like keeping them at arm's length just because I was afraid of like, you know, losing them and them losing me and all of that. So that part was really very difficult. And there's, there's really no rule book for that. As far as the working, you know, as I mentioned, I worked for a hospital system and I was the clinical manager. So I, you know, I had a lot of employees counting on me and I really wanted to go back to work, I think naively at the time. And I did, after I recovered from my surgery, I went back to work in my old position for about nine months um, before I realized that I really could not do it. I mean, I, you know, I had some serious disabilities related to, you know, the pain that I was in and just um, chronic infections that I would get from, from the, you know, issues in my lungs, the pneumonitis and, and other issues. So, um, you know, but there was this part of me that, you know, as you know, as a pharmacist, I had worked so hard through pharmacy school, through residency, you know, working my way up into this position that was my dream job, only you know, to be in it for, for about five years, six years. And then to have that taken away was a really big loss to me. And then just this side of trying to figure out how to parent my children through cancer. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was very difficult and it still can be, but 
having a purpose through Live for Today has really helped me kind of accept the loss of, of that career that I loved so much. So, yes, that's awesome. And once, once a pharmacist, you'll always be a pharmacist though. And who knows, I know this isn't what I expected to be doing several years ago. So, you know, our paths sometimes end up in places that we never dream of when we start. So absolutely, things ahead. And I know um, you've just kind of touched on it, but I know you both um, from being part of Live for Today. I've kind of aged out now um, and I, and not no longer the young adult, um, but I too um, went through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma treatment in my 20s. So I know that there are so many issues that are unique to young adults. Um, with cancer and then even young adult cancer survivors, things that when you are 70 or 80 that you don't necessarily have to think about. So will you all um, kind of discuss some of those with us and what what issues are unique? Oh, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, that's the hardest part is, you know, it's never good to have cancer, whether you're a child, a young adult, an elder, you know, nobody wants to have to go through any suffering, any pain, you know, anything like that. Um, but there's a lot of support, you know, for, um, the kids and, uh, you know, breast cancer, this, that, and the other. And when you're in this unique age group of, um, you know, young adults with cancer, you're navigating through, you know, college and careers and relationships and marriage and divorce and buying your first house and whatever else comes along with growing up, figuring out how to pay your bills on time, getting out of debt or getting into debt, you know? Um, So that's a lot in itself, right? You know, I'm, I'm 33 now and I'm still just like, wow, I guess I am an adult now, but it's, it's been a wild ride. And then you throw, you know, cancer into the mix when you're, uh, for instance, my, one of my co-founders, Katie um, Pearsall was 22 when she was diagnosed. So she was fresh out of college, um, you know, didn't have just getting her first job in her career probably didn't have the best, you know, medical treatment. Also young adults tend to not go to the doctors that much at that age. So, you know, you ignore a pain or this, that, and the other. And on the flip side of things, even if you do go to, um, you know, maybe a campus health clinic or a care spot, they're going to maybe think that you just have the flu or cat scratch fever or something when you're telling about, tell them about these symptoms that have been persisting. So we get a lot more later cancer diagnoses in young adults with cancer, which obviously we touched on earlier, talking about the difference between me being, you know, stage one when they found my cancer and Lauren, who is basically pregnant with cancer, didn't know it, it's growing the whole time. Um, and then, you know, the, this, the major differences and how, you know, you know, our lifestyle now, of course, you know, she's had to give up her career because of the disability and this, that, and the other. Um, and of course, we're so grateful and thankful that she's alive and living a great, you know, life with her kids and everything. But there's, there is a big difference between you catching it super early or super late um, and the way that it's going to affect your life, you know, for your future. Um, and that, I mean, I think that's one of the big things is a lot of people maybe don't have health insurance. They ignore it. Um, what, what do you think, Lauren? 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that the time to diagnosis is longer, but just the amount of resources is very different, starkly different for young adults because you're not supposed to have cancer as a young adult. I mean, you're not supposed to as a child either, but there is a lot more awareness, it seems like, for, for childhood cancer. Um, but young adult, you know, adolescent young adult cancers are, um, you know, kind of an orphan group. Um, usually they're more rare cancers um, and they're just, there just aren't a ton of resources available for them. And it's very hard to connect those young adults with those resources often. Um, and the doctors that they're seeing often are treating mostly older patients as well. And so the doctors don't tend to have a lot of knowledge of the resources for adolescent and young adult cancers either. So um, I think that that's one of the difficulties, especially just connecting us with each other is one of the biggest challenges and something that Live Here Today is endeavoring to do, but something that we still have a really big need for because we know there's a lot of young adult um, people with cancer out there that we're not reaching and that, you know, and we're a small organization nationwide. There's there are a few good organizations out there for young adults with cancer, but I know all of us want to extend our reach and make sure that we can reach all of those people. Awesome. Yeah, I would definitely say um, just touching on that, you know, I mean, it seems like a young adult with cancer is super rare, but I mean, it's not as rare as it seems where, I mean, since we, um, the inception of live for today, which we formed in 2012, we've helped about 120 young adults with cancer in the Northeast Florida area. And I'm sure there's probably a hundred that we didn't even reach because we're such a small organization growing. I mean, 80,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each year. And it's, I think the statistics like one in a hundred college students is a cancer survivor. And I mean, even since forming Live for Today, I have personally known probably three to four, maybe five people outside like of my Live for Today world, cancer world that were personal friends, relationships, coworkers that have been diagnosed with cancer as young adults with cancer. So it just goes to show that it's not, you know, quite as rare as it seems. And there are people out there that definitely, um, you know, are getting hit with this cancer diagnosis at a young age and need that support of other people that they can relate to. Because, I mean, you, we all know that young people tend to be a little bit more selfish. We think about ourselves, this, that, and the other, you know, it's all about me and how can I propel my future to the next steps when we're young and, so it's, it, that can make friendships and relationships a lot harder as well, I think. So, um, you know, I think having that support where there's somebody you can connect to recently, um, one of my good friends from work, her long-term boyfriend was diagnosed with cancer. And I was so grateful that we have lived for today so that we could, sh you know, introduce him to some other people that he'd gone through, go to take him to lunch with some other survivors so that he could just get a different perspective instead of just feeling, you know, sorry for himself, man, I'm 28. I have cancer. This isn't supposed to have, this isn't supposed to be how life is right now. You know, my career is thriving. I'm hoping to get married soon. And now all of a sudden everything's on hold because you're facing this, you know, crazy life event. So I think 
I definitely think it's great that we have the support um, and that everyone's able to be connected because cancer, once you are done with cancer treatment, it's not, I mean, life doesn't go back to normal. There are physical, emotional, psychological, mental, I mean, the list goes on of the things that these survivors face, um, whether you had uh, cancer as a child or a young adult, um, many people need to be connected. It's not just like when chemo and radiation's done and you're in remission, life just goes back to normal. It's it's a new normal, but um, that's why, you know, we started Live For Today to focus on living, not cancer. And I didn't mention, Ginger, that if, like you said, once a pharmacist, always a pharmacist. Also, once a Live For Today member, always a Live For Today wow. member as well. So just <laughs> remember that too. You're always welcome and part of our organization. So Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Like I'll be, I'll be 40 in a few short months. So, so I <laughs> 40 soon too. So yeah, but we go up to 39 now, just so you oh, know. Well, look, I have three more months. Yeah. <laughs> but, and as you all know, like birthdays take on a whole new meaning and a whole new celebration. Like I'm, I'm glad to reach 40. So oh, yeah. it'll, be, it'll be a big party. Yes. Yes. Of course. My husband turns 40 on Friday, so we're oh, that's awesome. Happy birthday to him. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I want to have you tell me a little more about the events that Lived for Today puts on and those type of things. But first, um, you've kind of talked about the issues. Most of our listeners are going to be oncology healthcare providers. So pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, nurses, physicians. Do you all have any tips or suggestions for them? Um, when dealing with patients who are young adults with cancer or any, anything you could suggest or provide? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely have several things that I would like to say because of course, you know, we wanna thank all of our oncology workers, the incredible people that were um, so compassionate around us, but there are always things that we as healthcare workers, and I started out my career in oncology as well. So I definitely, I know that there are so many things I personally learned as a patient that I never thought about um, before as um, a provider. So I think that, you know, among those things, obviously, always checking on the mental health of your patients is really important, I think. And, and that goes for any patient at any age. Um, I would say that in general, it wasn't as much of a factor in my treatment. And, you know, I'm not going to, you know, talk about exactly where I was treated, but it was a very well-known healthcare facility. And the focus was definitely on my diagnosis, um, you know, fixing that, fixing the diagnosis. And, um, and I'm very grateful that they did fix the diagnosis, but um, I was left very adrift as a person um, and felt very alone. And I think that reaching out and finding resources in your local community or nationally that will connect your young adult cancer patient with the resources they may need for mental health care, for you know, connection in a community, I think that those things really would have helped me figure out how to deal with what I was going through, even just being able to talk to one other person who'd gone through or was going through cancer as a mom, that would have been an enormous resource for me. Um, and including the patient in the education about what they're um, being treated 
uh, with, you know, the side effects, just remembering, you know, as pharmacists, we always need to remember to look at everything um, really closely and make sure the patient knows what they're looking out for. There were so many times when I knew um, what to anticipate, but the people who were talking to me didn't tell me those things. So I knew that as a patient, if I wasn't a pharmacist, that those things would have been a surprise or, um, you know, that they, that that education wasn't as complete as it could have been. And I think that that is really important and really just listening to the patient. Um, And, you know, because patients typically have a really good insight about what's going on in their body. And, you know, I experienced a lot of times where doctors didn't necessarily believe what I was telling them about what was going on in my body. And it ended up costing me quite a bit um, because of, uh, you know, the lung issues I experienced weren't attended to. Um, initially when I started um, complaining of them. And so by the time I was treated for it, it was too late, which is really what ended up leading to my surgeries and the pain and all of those issues that I have now. I mean, all of that really could have been avoided. And so I think it's, you know, but all of us tend to, as healthcare providers, sometimes tend to think that we are, you know, privileged in knowing more than the patient might know about what they're experiencing. And so I I also think it's important as um, collaborators in the patient's care that we work together and don't see each other as competition. Um, Because, you know, I saw a lot of that as well. Um, Doctors in different specialties, um, even radiation oncology, pharmacy and um, the medical oncology team arguing or trying to be right about a situation. And it's not, it is, I mean, being right is important, but um, being a team and coming to an answer together, I think is even more important and um, listening to each other and listening to the patient. So those are just some of the experiences that I think I learned from. And I'm not, again, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying it's important just to, to remember to work together and put that patient, um, that patient first. No, that is such a good point. And that's amazing. Um, we definitely always want to keep the patient at the center. And I love what you say about teamwork too. So, yeah. Well, and I think um, uh, just one other thing I wanted to mention since you were asking about um, advice or whatnot for healthcare providers, which I am not, of course, because um, I'm a taco pusher instead at Taco Lou. Listen, your, um, your service is some days more valuable than anything that we provide. Margaritas are pretty important. But, um, they have a medicinal quality, I think. They sure do. But, um, but one thing that, you know, and it's, to me, it's not a big deal, but I know to a lot of young adults or adolescents going through cancer treatment is, you know, like I mentioned with my diagnosis before I even left the hospital, I got a porta catheter and started chemo and there, we never had any discussion about fertility or reproductive or anything like that. Now, granted I was 12, so I was really young, but at that age, you know, that is something any probably like 12 and up or at any point if somebody's going to be going through chemo radiation, um, you know, you might want to also talk to your patients about that and see if they want to freeze eggs or sperm or this, that, and the other. Um, I personally don't have any children or really, I love being an aunt, so I'm just going to do that. But <laughs> so to me, it's not the end of the world, but internally sometimes when people are like oh why don't you have kids why don't you have kids I don't even know if I can have kids but I don't you know necessarily I personally don't necessarily 
care to go check, but I know that there's a lot of people that want to be moms and dads out there. And that's super, super important to them. And that's definitely something that if, you know, I I understand that chemo and things like that need to get started right away, but people definitely need to know about their options, I think as well, so that they can consider that for their future. I would agree entirely on that because even though, I mean, I was fortunate to already have two children and have just had a baby, but that wasn't even part of the discussion for me. And I did lose my fertility with treatment. Um, So I've been postmenopausal since I was 30 when I started um, my treatment. And um, that was, yeah, I mean, if I had wanted to have six kids, that wouldn't have been an option because they never did discuss it with me either. Um, And I understand, again, this comes back to making the diagnosis first and not the patient first, I think, you know, that same issue of just remembering that there's a whole person with a whole future in their mind and they have to grieve that loss of that future. But also if you can help as a healthcare provider, help that person to still have a future after their diagnosis that they may have in their mind, that is something that's a value. And I think it is important to talk to the patient about those options. No, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, I, I was treated at Moffitt and they did a great job of, of presenting options and giving those to me. Um, but again, I went forward knowing it was my choice. So, you know, like I, I had had the option. So even if things didn't that's work great. out and thankfully we were blessed with two, two little ones. Um, awesome. but, you know, like I, I was given the opportunity to make that choice. So I think that's so important. Um, so with that being said, can you tell me a little more about the events that Live for Today puts on and some exact, exactly what you guys are doing? Yeah, of course. So, um, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm one of three co-founders and we kind of, uh, joined together all having, you know, different stories about our cancer journey. Um, but knowing that having these resources for young adults is very important for me, I had them as a child, but My two co-founders were 18 and 22 when they were diagnosed, so they didn't necessarily have that same support. There was a lot more isolation and feeling. Um, So we all kind of met randomly through different volunteer events with like the American Cancer Society and and the In the Pink Foundation um, and kind of created a relationship and decided that we wanted to start this organization, Live for Today, in Northeast Florida, where we support young adults with cancer. Our mission is to help young adults with cancer by providing dynamic opportunities, fostering community support, and promoting healthy living. And um, we have a couple different programs, so I'll definitely let Lauren touch on some of them, but the one that I've kind of been the most involved with since inception, um, which I think is, you know, our most popular, what everyone needs, is our member support program. And what that means is instead of going to a hospital waiting room and having a support group and talking about our feelings and hi, I'm Caitlin and I had Ewing sarcoma and et cetera, et cetera. We get together in a fun environment where we're out doing something. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we went to the Iceman hockey game down at uh, the arena. Um, We've done football games, uh, painting with a twist, cooking classes, all kinds of different stuff where we get together and just have fun. And it's focused on living, not cancer. It's just kind of more of an organic setting where you're surrounded by people that have been through similar items and they can talk about them. They can talk about, you know, their life in the past their life. And it is, it's just more natural. It's more fun. You know, there's no pressure. Um, and it's really great. We try and get together about every six weeks 
obviously last year due to the pandemic, we had to do a couple virtual dinners where we still were able to get together, um, you know, on a Zoom call, which was great. We had dinner delivered to those members so that we could all kind of enjoy a meal together. Um, so now we're super glad that, you know, as the world's getting vaccinated, we can start having in-person events again, um, because we really see that that's a need. People need that connection. People um, want to be be in relation with somebody that they can connect to, talk to, um, be open with about their struggles. Um, as Lauren said, like grieving their losses, this, that, and the other. So that's a little bit about what we do. And then we, for our member support events, and then we also, of course, want to get people out there and living um, in a healthy lifestyle. So sometimes we'll do, um, you know, a yoga class, or we try and create partnerships with different uh, places around the, around Jacksonville and the area for yoga, CrossFit, Pure Bar, etc. To kind of get people out and living, and then, you know, about quarterly or so, we'll try and do more of like a fitness type activity. And then um, I'll let Lauren tell you about our lovely, wonderful life adventure program that she's been running for the last several years. Yeah, so the last um, thing that is part of our organization is the life adventure program, which is essentially like make a wish type program for young adults going through cancer that are in our organization. So, and uh, basically we do a custom planned adventure for qualifying members. So typically members who have recently gone through treatment within the last couple of years or who are currently going through treatment. And um, that usually involves something very specific to that person. It's been anything from, you know, uh, flying lessons with a pilot to, you know, a surfing trip to going to California to meet Dave Matthews and go to a concert. I mean, you know, we've been able to help coordinate some really big events with other organizations. And it could be just something like a local staycation um, at a nice hotel and a spa trip. You know, it's just dependent on what that person can do, what they've been dreaming about doing. Um, you know, we've, we've come up with some really creative ideas, but we've been able to do this, like Caitlin said, for the last few years. And these trips are really meaningful because it really helps to focus these members back on living and not just surviving. And that's kind of the big key point because when you're going through treatment or even kind of right afterwards, it living in the shadow of cancer, you're sort of in this survival mode and it's hard to focus on all of the things that make life worth living. And these life adventures really focus you back on that sometimes allowing you time to either grieve, like I said, or spend time with a loved one or just get back out there and feel like you're living your life. And these are just absolutely incredible trips. And I was blessed to get one after I went through treatment. They planned an incredible trip for me. Um, my husband and I, for our 10th anniversary, went out to Napa Valley with some friends and oh, they nice. planned a they planned a whole day where I had like a hot air balloon ride over Napa oh, and, amazing. and wine tasting trips and arranged a car for us for the whole day to take us to some different wineries. It was incredible. Um, they did such a great job. So I'm trying to pay it forward by helping uh, with that division ever since. That is great. So, so many great initiatives and so many great projects um, to be part of. And I I love the support system that's that's not a support group, but it's just doing life together. I love that. Um, and then 
to end, we have two questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, so the first one is we call this the PQI podcast, and it's really to bring awareness to the PQI positive quality intervention um, resource that ENCODA publishes. So I know um, I sent one of those along to you, but Lauren, what value or do you see value in the PQI resource um, as a pharmacist? Yeah, absolutely. And I did take a look at it. And it's actually the kind of thing that I used to do um, as a clinical manager. I used to, you know, write and run our protocols um, for the hospital. So I think it's so important to be able to have um, something like this to be able to, you know, triage and look at what a patient is experiencing as, as we were talking about with side effects of these different, especially these newer agents, and then to be able to do a protocol dose adjustment and all of those things. That's, I think that's really helpful because it, you know, it allows um, the patient to have a plan and it can avoid some of these, you know, ER visits and, and other, you know, issues that come up that, that really affect a patient's quality of life. So being able to address that proactively um, you know, with what you guys have put together, I think it looks excellent. You've got all of the, you know, all of the process built in. And I think that that is just, it's going to help the patient and the pharmacist and the whole team to work together for the patient's good. So yeah, I was really impressed. I think it, it looks terrific. So, you know, good job with that. Definitely providing that education as well as giving pharmacists opportunities to have those interventions and do those dose adjustments, which I think is a really big part of our skill set and um, absolutely all of that. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to look it over too. And then just as a final question, um, the world is opening back up, we hope very soon, it seems to be. So if you all could travel anywhere um, other other than Napa on a hot air balloon, that might be that might be top of my list. Uh, where would you go and why? Hmm. Well, I personally haven't really been that many places outside of the United States other than like Mexico. So that was, you know, on a cruise or whatnot. So, um, for tacos, a uh, couple, <laughs> yeah, for, for more tequila, you know, you can never get enough tequila, but, um, but I do, you know, want to go, you know, travel Europe at some point. Um, I really, really would love to go to Australia. I know it's like the farthest place in the world, but I just feel like it's so beautiful there. It would be a great experience, Australia, New Zealand, um, uh, and or Greece. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the movie Mamma Mia. And, uh, and I also have a friend that's Greek and, uh, she traveled with another good friend and uh, just looking at all their beautiful pictures, uh, you know, in Santorini and everywhere else, just, I don't know, it seems like a very magical place that I would enjoy. You know, Florida, we've got the beaches, we've got the sun, um, but sometimes it's just nice to, you know, get a different landscape view for a yes. few days. Yes, that sounds lovely. <laughs> I think those are good choices for sure. Um, like for me, I think just a more uh, practical trip coming up. I would really love to take our kids to Costa Rica and um, do the whole rainforest and hiking and surfing and everything, uh, whitewater rafting. I'd really love to do that. And Australia is amazing. I was an exchange student there. So I hope that you get to go. And I got to hike up Uluru and do the Great Barrier Reef and spend, you know, do a whole um, 
you know, weeks long um, safari there. So it's, it's amazing. I would love to go back and go do New Zealand and the South Pacific. I'd really love to do like, you know, under overwater bungalow whole thing someday, maybe. That all sounds amazing too. I hope you both get everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. But thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a pleasure to have you and, and talking about such important issues to young adults. So thank you. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it, Ginger. Yeah, thank you, Ginger. It's been a delight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Caitlin and Lauren. More information on Live for Today Foundation can be found in the show notes. To download this podcast, you can search the PQI podcast on Spotify and Apple and remember to subscribe. You can listen on our website at encoda.org. That's N-C-O-D-A dot org. You can also follow us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We would also like to thank Encoda for making this podcast possible, and we hope you join us next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.